Facebook, Twitter, 24-7 news, talk radio, citizen journalism, fake news, real news. Audiences are drowning in an overwhelming overload of information. Clearly, a guidepost is needed to identify what is trustworthy and a reliable source of both news and information. Season two of the Delaware Humanities podcast, A Matter of Facts, delves into this topic. This year, examining more closely popular sources of news and information. The A Matter of Facts podcast is brought to you by Delaware Humanities, a state affiliate of the National Endowment for the Humanities. Its mission is to engage, educate, and inspire all Delawareans through cultural programming. We thank the Andrew W. Mellon Foundation for its generous support of this initiative and the Pulitzer Prizes for its partnership. A Matter of Facts is produced by Delaware Public Media, Delaware's source for NPR News. Thanks for joining us on the A Matter of Facts podcast. I'm your host, Tom Byrne. Our second season of this podcast delves more deeply into a variety of popular sources of news and information. And in this, our third episode, our topic is a bit broader than usual. We're examining local news with perhaps a little less emphasis on if it's a reliable source and more on if it's simply available. And if it isn't, what does that mean for the local communities they serve? To help us better understand the current local news landscape is Charlie Ornstein, Deputy Managing Editor for ProPublica, which describes itself as an independent nonprofit newsroom that produces investigative journalism with moral force. Ornstein oversees their local reporting network, which works with local news sources on accountability journalism. And he won a Pulitzer Prize for public service, along with his colleague Tracy Weber, in 2005 for a Los Angeles Times series on the King Drew Medical Center in Los Angeles. Charlie Ornstein, thanks for being with us on the A Matter of Facts podcast. Thanks for having me. First, I do want to talk a little bit about your career. You've done a tremendous amount of investigative work. Won a Pulitzer Prize for the Los Angeles Times piece investigating the Drew King Medical Center in Los Angeles. I'm curious how that work has informed your view of local journalism and its importance. Yeah, I was fortunate enough to get my start in local journalism. I started by covering uh, two Dallas suburbs, Garland and Mesquite, Texas, and spent uh, the first year of my journalism career um, working from those suburbs and trying to understand the way local government works, the way city councils work, how what decisions are made at the local level affect local citizens, and when things go wrong, who pays the price for that? So it gave me a really firm appreciation of just how central local government is, not just in big cities, but also, you know, in suburbs and small towns. And with that as a foundation, I mean, there are a number of issues that really are plaguing local news at this time, whether it be print, broadcast, or or online entities. Uh, The biggest and, and perhaps the most basic is that they're just are fewer outlets in many places now, and the ones that are there have smaller staffs. In some places, we're seeing that kind of start to develop news deserts. And I guess my question for you is, is are we kind of reaching a, a crisis level with this? And, and given the economics and the COVID-19 pandemic, can it be turned around? Well, I feel like we're beyond a crisis moment. We were in a crisis moment years ago, and it's only been accelerated by what is happening right now uh, as you and I speak. And so um, I'm deeply, deeply concerned about this, that many, many important issues aren't getting the coverage they need. When you see local reporters who are being asked to cover city hall and the schools and the courts uh, and transportation, uh, or maybe for multiple towns, there's no possible way 
you can be the eyes and ears on all of these things. And so important stories, important accountability stories uh, aren't getting the attention they need. And when that happens, I feel people in power sometimes feed, know that and feed off that and uh, are willing to take risks that they wouldn't take if they knew that a reporter was watching what they were doing. And so it is a huge threat to our uh, to our democracy, frankly. It's not just to any particular news organization, but I think it has widespread effects that, that really go beyond that. Um, it's not a hopeless situation, to your point. Um, it is definitely a crisis, but I think um, ProPublica and other news organizations are trying to identify opportunities to help ensure that accountability journalism remains a potent force at the local level by providing not only money, but also the help and support to um, to get those important stories out to a local audience and also to a national audience. And, and I'm interested because, I mean, in addition to just kind of stretching reporters and staffs kind of thin and having them covering multiple things simultaneously, I mean, historically, these it's, it's these local outlets, as you, as you kind of pointed out, that dig in and uncover stories, demand that accountability that you mentioned. And it's it's a type of work that's oftentimes hardest to do with minimal resources. And I guess, you know, beyond just, you know, not even performing that basic watchdog function, is that ability to dig even deeper and do those more investigative pieces, is, that, is there a danger that that's really being lost here uh, as a lot of these organizations are kind of forced to rely on aggregated stories or the kind of low-hanging fruit coverage of let's just go to that presser or let's just call on that press release we got? Sure. So, I mean, yes, as you reduce staff, you absolutely are cutting back your eyes and ears. You're therefore cutting back the tips that are going to naturally gravitate from a reporter who is covering a beat and sees something uh, that seems awkward and follows up on it. If you don't have the reporter covering the beat, uh, it is much more haphazard in terms of whether that will be spotted. That said, I do think that there's an increasing number of um, startups that are trying to make a difference in this space. You have nonprofits uh, at the local and national level that weren't there years ago. You have public broadcasting, which is in many communities stepping up to help um, fill this void. Um, you have collaborations across newsrooms. It used to be only competition, but I think now news organizations realize that to survive, um, you have to talk to one another and you have to be willing to collaborate on investigative stories. So those are all signs of hope. I think they're born of necessity, but um, everybody recognizes that this is critical. And um, I think they may be willing to pare back some of the things that they may deem extraneous, um, cultural coverage or some sports coverage or um, movie reviews, theater reviews. Those are not extraneous. They're, they're important. And communities, I think, rely on news organizations for that. But I think as, as news organizations are forced to make decisions on what to cover and what not to cover, um, they're more likely to, I think, choose accountability reporting over some of those other areas. You mentioned uh, ProPublica's work in this area. You're now overseeing ProPublica's local reporting network. Can you tell us a little bit about what that does and, and how it can help uh, address some of these issues, uh, especially when it comes to investigative accountability reporting? Sure. So our local reporting network provides grants to local news organizations to enable a reporter to spend a full year working on a single project. We pay 
their salary and a stipend for benefits for that reporter. And then we provide a whole bunch of support on our side to help ensure that those projects are what they envisioned and even more. Um, so we provide help with data. We provide help with research, um, with community engagement, which is an area of our strength. Um, we provide even help with design and photography, so and, and audience, and um, so many areas that are ProPublica's strengths. We have a staff on our uh, on ProPublica staff who focus on working with our local partners, and that has worked really, really well. We've enabled stories that have created major changes um, in communities at the local level, at the state level. I think by shining the light together, we've demonstrated that it's not that local reporters lack the ideas. It's that sometimes they just lack the resources to pursue their ideas. You you mentioned that possibility with the, the local reporting network at ProPublica does. You also mentioned collaborations. Are there some other ways that this type of original and investigative reporting on the local level can be be bolstered or encouraged? Well, I think right now there's a lot of experimentation as well. So I think um, not only collaboration, but experimentation. People are thinking through new ways of doing this. Some journalists are crowdfunding particular projects and trying to raise money for a particular project. Um, ProPublica recently partnered up with the Texas Tribune, which is a really powerful um, policy and politics brand, uh, and Texas is a nonprofit like we are, uh, and we jointly opened a, um, a unit, an investigative unit together that is uh, for both of our news organizations, and it's really doing unbelievable sort of accountability reporting right out of the gate. Um, so uh, those are some of the ways in which you start to see some experimentation. One of the other issues that local news faces is it, its makeup, uh, which in many places is largely male and largely white, especially in, in leadership roles. Uh, can you talk a little bit about the impact that has on local news and information and, and how that can impact the local communities that are, that are accessing that news and information? Sure. Well, first, you know, my own privilege is I am a white male. So uh, I speak from, uh, from, from the position that you're talking about, um, but I also speak recognizing just how important it is to have a diverse set of voices in the newsroom and not just diverse for the sake of diversity, um, but diverse because people of different backgrounds have had different experiences in their backgrounds and see what needs to be investigated with different lenses on. And it there's a strength in having multiple perspectives and not sort of one um, one prototypical way of looking at the world. So I think from our newsroom, we have um, we focus on diversity, but not just because it's lately a catchword. We are focusing on it from, you know, high school to professional journalism in the sense that we recognize that right at the start of the pipeline, you have to build journal youngsters who are interested in journalism and um, give folks opportunities in high school, in college, uh, when they graduate from college, that not everybody is um, ready um, at a young age to even recognize that they want to be an investigative reporter. And frankly, you know, when you have a number of years of experience, um, there are lots of news organizations that are interested right now in simply increasing uh, the first share of journalists of color. And so that is not what this is about. It truly is um, recognizing that you are stronger 
for having a diversity of voices and a diversity of perspectives. Uh, and that's what this is about. And it's a better chance that you'll actually be reflecting your community if you have that kind of diversity within your own newsroom. Absolutely. And and we see that um, in our local reporting network, that that the diversity of perspectives that people bring um, have led to unbelievable stories. We've talked about some of these issues for local news, but I guess there's also some good news here. When you look at some of the surveys that are done, um, people still tend to trust their local news outlets. A, how important, and how, so how important is that? And how important is it that local news organizations find ways to build on that trust and, and build a sense of place or community that involves them? Trust is really important. Without trust, um, you know, what is your coin of the realm? If what you produce is doubted, um, it is you, you lose your ability to for people to take you seriously, for, for you to have impact when you point out things that are broken, potentially. So trust is incredibly important. Um, trust happens from a lot of different ways. Trust happens from uh, writing about things in an accurate way. Trust happens by showing that you are interested in hearing from uh, a wide array of voices, diverse voices, voices from multiple perspectives of a story. Um, trust happens by being inclusive, by um, letting folks have a way of interacting with you, by engaging with the community. That's one thing that I think ProPublica takes very seriously is that we try to build communities around our stories and our projects. And it's not just a community in which we are seeking to extract something from the community as an information, but something where we attempt to give back to the community as well, um, which is information and resources and guides and connections. And when you are able to, um, to sort of approach it from both of those perspectives to a community can help you get information and you can help the community by sharing information with them. Um, that builds a level of trust uh, and people recognize that and they don't feel like they're being used for the purpose of a story. I was going to say that trust is, it can be really important at the local level because you mentioned a little bit earlier when, when you don't have reporters on beats who are kind of cultivating sources and cultivating tips, having that trust to find perhaps tips and sources elsewhere in an era where access can be really difficult, that you know, politicians and others make it a little bit harder for reporters to, to gain the access they need. Even, even FOIA is not as easy, particularly for small organizations that don't maybe have money to pay for FOIA requests. You know, having that trust to create maybe a- avenues of access that you need to do stories seems like also it's really important at this time. Yeah, I mean, just to give you an example, back in in 2018, during our first year of the LRN, we partnered with WMFE, which is a public radio station in Orlando, and they did a project about PTSD and first responders, um, particularly after the Pulse nightclub shooting in Orlando. And this was a really resonant issue locally. Um, But first responders, police, firefighters aren't always the most trusting of media, right? And so we had to build trust within that community. And, and I think we did so by, by speaking to the community about the questions we wanted to ask, by talking to experts about the resources that we could provide, um, by listening, right, by being um, truthful and trustworthy in the way in which we shared their information. And I think that that was an incredibly successful project. We, in the end, heard from hundreds of first responders who shared their uh, experiences dealing with PTSD, and that really informed our reporting. 
given all that we've talked about so far, what do you see as the outlook for local news? What is likely the best case scenario and the worst case scenario as you see it moving forward? Well, I think if our economy um, doesn't pick up and worsens, um, that is a huge threat to local news. We've already seen pretty severe and drastic decreases in advertising, not just uh, in light of the coronavirus, but but prior to that. I think those have accelerated uh, as advertisers and businesses pare back their own spending. That is a huge threat to local news. Um, I also think another threat is the polarization of our society. The more we become polarized and less trusting in institutions, um, the media is an institution, and it becomes harder for local news organizations to to regain you know that trust. Um, so I think those are, are two factors. Obviously, if if the economy doesn't pick up, that's going to pose an additional threat. And I think you know some local news, um, some journalists have seen their organizations purchased by. Um, hedge funds or funds in which there is a strong involvement of hedge funds, um, those companies often seek to keep a very close eye on their profit margins. And some of them have seen drastic effects in the number of journalists uh, on their staff. You can't do more with less. You can't do the same with less. You do less with less. And at a certain point, um, your audience is going to say, why am I, why am I subscribing? And, um, it is not all bleak, though, because I do think, like I said, there are a lot of experiments going on, and some of those may supplant the traditional source of news. That is not necessarily a horrible thing. What's important is that communities have places they can trust to get information about what's happening in their communities. Charlie, we'd like to end our podcast by asking each of our guests, so where do you get your news on a daily basis? What are your go-to or favorite news sources? Oh, gosh. I mean, I, I subscribe to a bunch of um, news organizations. Um, I subscribe to The New York Times, The Wall Street Journal. I subscribe to my local newspaper, The Star-Ledger, uh, in, uh, which is in Newark, New Jersey. Uh, I have online subscriptions to The LA Times and The Washington Post and The Atlantic. Uh, I regularly go to organizations like The Houston Chronicle and The Dallas Morning News, which I think you know are terrific and doing uh, just a yeoman's job. And also, as, as the person who oversees our local reporting network, I have gained such an appreciation for the news organizations across the country, uh, whether it's the Anchorage Daily News in Alaska, MLK50, which is an online um, nonprofit news organization in Memphis. I love the folks at the Publix Radio, which is a um, public radio station in Providence, Rhode Island. Uh, I really like uh, AL.com in Birmingham, Alabama. Um, so I think when you are sort of looking around, uh, it's pretty impressive what you see and the, the great array of news that's available out there. Charlie Ornstein, Deputy Managing Editor for ProPublica. We thank you so much for joining us on the A Matter of Facts podcast. Thank you for your time. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of the A Matter of Facts podcast. The A Matter of Facts podcast is brought to you by Delaware Humanities, a state program of the National Endowment for the Humanities. Its mission is to engage, educate, and inspire all Delawareans through cultural programming. We thank the Andrew W. Mellon Foundation for its generous support of this initiative and the Pulitzer Prizes for its partnership. 
A Matter of Facts is produced by Delaware Public Media, Delaware's source for NPR News.